What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. We've got a little coaching series going on this month featuring some listeners who are already seeing some pretty healthy traction with their businesses, but are still looking for ways to grow, expand, optimize, all that fun stuff. Today, you're going to meet Troy Parker, who runs an Etsy shop called Goober Prints, direct-to-garment printing. Doing pretty well with that. Troy, welcome to the show. Nick, thanks for having me on, mate. Uh, I'm a big fan of the show. I caught wind of it late last year, early this year, and I love hearing all of the side hustles from you know, mobile homes to dollhouses to Etsy shops and everything. It's awesome. Well, thanks so much for tuning in. Happy to have you in the other corner to help uh, talk through some ideas and expansion opportunities for Troy is for her second side hustle show appearance from sweetspotmarketing.ca. It's Melissa McDonald. Welcome back. Thanks, Nick. Great to be here. You bet. So Troy, I'm going to have you kick us off here with kind of the um, baseline of the business today in terms of sales, revenue, time required. Give us a sense for how far you've come so far. I've always loved t-shirt and apparel printing, so I thought, why not open up my Etsy page and um, do some apparel printing? So opened that up in uh, February of 2019. Didn't really have a, an idea of how it was going to go. I was kind of in the mindset, you know, if I make a extra 100 bucks a week, then that's great. That's where I kind of thought I would be. First year sales was around $10,000 which was still uh, more than I thought. I, I was quite happy with that. I'd, I'd made 300 sales in that first year. And then the second year, which was 2020, you know, I just put a lot more time into it and ended up getting just over $80,000 in sales and um, just over 4,000 sales on Etsy alone. So it expanded way bigger than I thought I would. You know, a few speed bumps in the road, but now I'm at the process where I really think that it this can be, you know, a, a full headstone company and produce some great revenue. Yeah. So, four thousand sales last year. What's it been like in early twenty twenty one? This year, we're actually ahead of the line of what last year was. So, this year, um, I'm just south of a thousand sales, and then just south of thirty thousand dollars in revenue so far this year, which is a lot healthier than I thought it would be. No, oh, that's awesome. That's in- incredible. I mean, doing. 10 orders a day plus, and it sounds like processing all those yourselves, which we'll get into. But Troy, what would be a win for you? What do you hope to get out of this call? So the view that I have on work is I'm not a massive fan of the nine to five. I like the idea of, of designing my own future and working for myself to be able to really create something special and different from your regular day job. And to do that, my goal would be to take myself to around $1,000 a day in sales and I, I really do think that's possible. But in order to do that, I do need to scale. And I'm super happy Melissa's on board here because I know that I'm going to pick her brain. She's going to have some knowledge that I don't have. So I'm very, very excited to hear some of her input. And then from there, I, it's really just scaling my business and managing it, You know, putting on some employees and factoring it so that I can make it work while doing less work, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think there's some opportunities there for sure. Melissa, first impressions of Goober Prints. 
Troy's done an excellent job of when you land on his Etsy shop page, you know exactly why you were there and you know what products he's offering. It's very clear. The call to action is very clear and how he set it up. So that's excellent. So I know um, from talking with Troy earlier, like I mentioned, his conversion rate, would you say, Troy, that I think you had mentioned around 16 to one compared, you know, 16 views to one sale. Is that about right? Yeah, that's that's roughly around it. The conversion rate jumps per the season or if there's a holiday coming up, Father's Day, Mother's Day, all that stuff. But that would probably be around the ballpark. I think my sales conversion at the moment is around 9% all time. Yeah, so that's excellent because, you know, according to, you know, the index scale for best-selling shops, the scale is around 25 views to one sale. So if you have, you know, listings that are generally doing that, that ratio, 25 to one, uh, that means that you have a really best-selling items. Your conversion rate is actually, in my opinion, you can't get much better on that for a conversion rate. Keeping that in mind, at this point, something that you should be focused on then, knowing that conversion rate is the more views you get. So you're trying to get more views, obviously, to your shop because you have such a good working formula for your conversion rate. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. Yeah. So it's kind of reassuring to hear about that conversion rate I don't know why I looked at 9% and I thought, oh, that's quite low, but that makes me feel a little better. That's an outstanding e-commerce conversion rate. Yeah. I'm very new to this. I've been doing it for roughly two years, but the whole e-commerce, the SEO, the online selling is so new to me. So I'm really coming into each asset blind and just, I'm almost guessing my way through. So that's a fluke, I would guess. Well, you have, like I mentioned, the little bit of luck thrown in there, but definitely by looking at your shop page, it's definitely not a fluke. There are clear reasons why just from looking at your shop without even getting into the analytics part, you have done some strategic uh, shop setups that have enabled you to make that high conversion rate for sure. Troy, are there any sales that are happening off Etsy or is it a kind of a, a negligible part of the business at this point? Yeah, so I do get a decent amount of sales off Etsy. There's a, a couple local companies here where I live that I've partnered with. There's a few little boutique shops, a couple fundraising organizations that I do sales for. And then, you know, there's always the regular sales for friends and family, for home homecoming, uh, sorry, housewarming gifts, um, you know, new baby gifts and stuff like that. Obviously, my my main source of income is through Etsy, but I do have a pretty healthy order load outside of Etsy. Okay. That, that's a great question um, or a great topic to bring up because that actually was going to be my very next question is, so do you have, when you're talking about outside of Etsy, do you have a, an external website or anything besides that? No, I don't. And I've, I've been meaning to create one and really put one together on Shopify and do it that way. I just have stretched my time out and I haven't really been able to do that. But that is a very soon goal to be able to accomplish for me to have an external website. Okay, I do have one suggestion in that area. And just because dealing with so many Etsy shops, especially recently, I'd say in the last six months, unfortunately, there has been quite a few Etsy shops that we have come across, you know, dealing with people that their Etsy shops were, you know, unexpectedly shut down. And that was the only revenue stream they had. So just as that 
you know, when you have time, but having that as a goal to eventually build out something external. And a lot of times they were shut down for, you know, they don't even know the reason. You're probably fine, you know, with your, as long as you're keeping in line with Etsy rules and such, but it's, it's always a smart idea to have not all your eggs in one basket. So that's something, one of my suggestions for sure would be to think a little bit long-term of, even though Etsy is my absolute favorite place and way to sell, just to have an external site, just to security. <laughs> That's nightmare material right there. If this, if this page was shut down, I would probably curl in a ball and cry. So I definitely need to, I definitely need to put that on the top of the priority list. Even if it doesn't drive a ton of sales initially, it's just like kind of staking your claim on your own turf versus, you know, playing in somebody else's sandbox. And while it's, fantastic. Like, you know, the business wouldn't exist without Etsy. It's uh, okay. You know, I don't want to be super reliant on them, you know, for the next decade. So Melissa, what's, what's recommendation number two, or what else do you have on your list here? Sure. So the number two is your theme for your shop is, is nice and quirky. There's a quirky theme there. So definitely don't stray from it when we, when I go on to talk about um, some further suggestions about uh, growing your shop. So we want to keep in mind with all these suggestions, it's that quirky fun theme that your shop has going for it. That is such an advantage. You know, people, anyone who goes to your Etsy shop quickly notices the quirky products with funny sayings. And so just be sure that when you add more products or suggestions, suggestions that ensure that you're not leaving this niche that you have because you've built up such a strong, recognizable Etsy brand. And you just want to make sure that this continues as a theme in any new products or new listings that you set up on there. So I know when it comes to SEO, how comfortable are you with your SEO strategies that you have in place currently? That's a great question because, I mean, kind of back touching back on what I said before, I am by no means an SEO expert. I'm very amateur when it comes to that. So my knowledge of SEO is essentially just putting in my taglines that I think would would best fit. And the only way that I kind of create those taglines is I put in what I would search if I was looking for that specific item. But I do know that SEO is an area that I do need to increase and, and work on. But that's basically how I create my SEO. I look at myself as what would I search if I'm looking for this item or where would I go to look for a specific item like this is that's where I base my SEO. Okay. So you're going to enjoy these next few tips then. (laughs) I'm ready. Okay. So basically I've outlined four different strategies. Um, SEO, of course, is a huge topic in itself. It could be a whole episode, <laughs> um, but we're just gonna—I'm just gonna talk about four different strategies that you specifically can use for your Etsy shop. Now, there's a few uh, different apps out there, and I'm not sure your familiarity with them. But the first one I'm gonna talk about is eRank. Now, are you familiar with that? I have looked at that before. I looked at that, and then I think Marmalade as well. I kind of looked at those a little bit. Right. So what I'm going to talk about today or my suggestions for you are two things and it's E-Rank and your shop statistics. So the back end of your Etsy shop reveals a lot about how to title and tag your items. Now, when it comes to your shop uh, statistics, have you ever taken a look at that back end there where your shop stats are and your search terms that people are using? Have you had a chance to check that out? I have looked in that a little bit and I kind of just track my top selling items and I don't really look at the rest, which I should be looking at everything. But um, I have looked at some some keyword searches on E-Rank 
and see how they kind of land. I think I did the page rank where they rank your listing title, SEO, and stuff like that. But again, very minimal look into that area. Okay. So let's, since your shop is already, like your shop is doing very well, obviously already, we've talked about that with your conversion rate. So these strategies that I'm going to talk about are not so much, these SEO strategies are not so much about teaching you how to do the SEO on your current listings, but more so strategies to even further propel what is working in your shop to propel it even further through proper optimization. So the number one suggestion would be to take your top or your best-selling listings. Now, when I'm talking about best-selling listings here, I'm talking about that rule of thumb that we mentioned earlier, which is 25 views to one sale. So you can easily find those stats in your back end there. So take those best-selling listings, say the top five, your top five best-sellers based on that rule. And what you need, my suggestion is to copy those listings and switch out your primary image. So for example, if you're looking at your shop, say you're one of your number one listings was your baby onesie that says, you know, say hello to my little friend, just as an example, I'm just pulling one from your page there. So that was a top selling listing. My suggestion would to take your top five, make a copy of that listing and use a different image. So right now you have a certain image. I would take like, say your number two photo in that image and switch it to make it the primary image. So it doesn't look identical. And then, so what you would do is then you're going to title and tag that newly copied listing differently. So how you're going to do that is you're going to use that original listing that's doing well. You're going to use the stats history on that listing. And you're going to go in and click all time and you're going to enter, you know, about 60 or 70 characters. It will give you the keywords, the top keywords that are listed at the top of those search terms for that particular listing. So after this little chat, I'll, I'll write, I'll type this all out for you and send it to you. <laughs> so oh, I'm going to be re-listening to this episode probably 20 times. Okay. As well. Anyway. <laughs> so I'll have it written out. But basically the concept is, is you're going to start with your five top listings. You're going to duplicate them. And for each of those different listings, you're going to go in and look at the stats for that top selling listing. And you're going like the search stats and you're going to go in and retitle and retag these copied listings. And then does that make sense so far? Yeah. So essentially it's almost duplicating the listing, but enhancing the the tags and the search terms to, to compare it against the existing one. Right. So you don't want to change your top. So it's say that um, listing that I mentioned there, that baby onesie, if that was your top selling listing and it's doing awesome, you do not want to touch the titles and tags on that listing. What we're trying to do here is enhance or further grow the sales to that listing, but you don't want to touch what's working. So that's why I talk about making a copy of that listing and just switching out the photos so they don't look identical. It's kind of like doing an A-B test, okay, for, for those five. I wouldn't do more than five at a time, like five of your top sellers. What you would do is, you know, in most cases, it would take about a month to see the pattern for daily views. And after about a month has passed, you want to go into that search history again of that copied listing and see what search terms people have found that listing in. So basically, you're going to get really up close and personal with the stats on your top sellers, like the search terms. Those are going to be your best friends on on how people are finding your listings and catering 
you know, your new listings to those SEO search terms. You're really taking the most important keywords and putting them in the front, you know, and ranging them that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that does. It's actually sounds like a great idea to be able to compare what you're doing now. So long term, Melissa, are you running these two separate listings for the same product? Just it gives you double the chances to be discovered in search? Or do you kind of eventually delete or cut off the one that is performing worse? Right. So that's why you give it about 30 days. And, you know, it takes about that long to see, you know, if the duplicated listing is performing really well, again, you use that 25 to one, 25 views to one sale ratio. If it's performing really well, then you just keep that up there. But if you find it's not doing very well, um, it's not up at that 25, at least 25 to one conversion rate, you would deactivate that listing. So it's a little bit of experimenting, but it's just really, you're really wanting to expand your SEO reach and cream the top of what's working and get more and more views to sales for those listings. You're just targeting slightly different keywords or slightly different group of keyword, keyword variations. Am I interpreting that right? Yes, that's right. You're expanding your SEO reach. And especially since uh, Troy mentioned there that he personally was just using words that he thought people would find his product with. So that obviously is working good to a point, but there's also, you know, you want to base a lot of your SEO on facts on what people are actually searching for. So that's why it's important to go into the stats for those top selling listings. Okay. This is helpful. I've found this is kind of a common strategy, especially on, we'll call them less advanced search engines. Like Google is really good at, you know, this, what do they call it? Semantic indexing or like, what, what was the search intent behind this? And if you did singular versus plural, or you rearrange words, they kind of know what you're looking for. But in iTunes and Fiverr and Udemy and some of these other mini search engines that we sometimes talk about, it may make sense. Pinterest was another example recently on on the podcast as well, where it's like, you know, there's different ways of spelling my keyword. So I create different boards, different variations of this, different variations of my Fiverr gig to target slightly different terms that people might search for. So I think I think that makes sense here too. Yeah, that's such a good point because a lot of people don't realize that. They assume that, you know, all search engines work the same, but like with Etsy, for example, yeah, it's very, there's a difference for sure. So are you ready for my next one, Troy? <laughs> oh, I'm ready. I'm gonna okay. <laughs> okay. So the next point based on that SEO would be um, making sure that you're updating any listing titles and tags, again, that don't have a conversion of 25 to one for views or sales or higher. So you want to start the titles in your uh, listing by going to your keyword search history and setting it your search history to all time, kind of what I mentioned a little bit, expanding on what I mentioned before. So think of that when you're creating any new listings, you really want to go into your search terms to figure out what's working and what people are searching for. You know, it's kind of like you've thrown spaghetti up on a wall, you know, when you previously selected your titles and tags, and it's as if Etsy selects, you know, which strands will continue to stick and which won't. And, you know, since you have over 200 listings, you know, when you start to go editing the listings that aren't performing well, it might be to your advantage to use a bulk editor to make these changes just so you can streamline and save your time. There's a variety of bulk editors. One is Vila that I find a lot of people use and works well for you on this. So that would be my second SEO suggestion. That's a huge thing too, because if I'm going in and, you know, changing the 13 taglines for 200 listings. Yeah. 
it's a lot of time there, so I'll be using that for sure. Yeah, for What's sure. What's the spelling on Vila? V-E-L-A. Vila, candle in Spanish. Okay. So now it's important too to remember with your listings when you're creating your titles and your tags, it's important that the order in which the keywords appear in the title is exactly the order that they appear in in the tags. So that's a way that Etsy deems your listing as relevant to show up in search. So that can help. So you want to make sure that when you're titling your listing, that you're also adjusting the tags in that area. So would you recommend duplicating tag words or in the taglines as well as the words that are in the listing? Yes, for sure. So I would ensure that that whatever your listing is titled, those same words are in the tags. And then you're going to have extra tags that you can use as well to, you know, to fill in that space. But you want to make for sure that they're duplicated. Okay, perfect. So again, you want to make sure um, you actually have a huge, a much bigger market than you realize. So when we're talking about E-Rank as an example for a tool, another advantage of that tool is you can see what other sellers, you know, the average, what other people are selling in your niche or your particular line of items. So would you say you're selling about, I mean, the average, maybe, you know, seven to 10 items a day? Is that pretty much? Yeah, I would say that's probably the average, around seven, seven to 10, seven to 12 items a day. Okay. Um, And then obviously some days are hot, some days are cold, some days might be 15, 20, some days might be five, six. So that, that would be the ballpark. Okay. So a nice bonus about E-Rank is, uh, although you don't want to spend too much time on this, but you can find out, for example, there's other custom t-shirt shops that are selling like, you know, 17 a day. There's ones on there when I was doing a quick search there that are selling 40 a day. Um, So you know that the potential is there. So without comparing yourself to other shops, you know that you do that potential for your own shop since it's doing well already, you definitely will be able with some of these strategies, you know, able to reach your goal of $1,000 a day. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S.com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 
For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Can you expand on this? So in E-rank, this is kind of like Etsy search data and analytics. When you just mentioned like punching in your competitors or other kind of direct-to-garment print shops or people who are selling similar products that were selling more than you, what do you do with that information? So it can be a rabbit hole, right? So you're not on there to, you know, look at, oh, how come they're doing this and I'm not doing this? It just, E-rank, it's much more than just finding search terms, you know, that are working. You can, you know, look up shops and find out um, just stats on how they're, how many items they're selling. Um, It just kind of gives you an idea of what's popular, what's going on. It's a really useful tool. On E-Rank, can you, let's say, for instance, if we look at the the shop that, you know, is selling 40 plus items per day, do they give you the details of, you know, what keyword listings they're using, what SEO terms work for them, or do they not give you that kind of in-depth information? They don't go into that detail, but it's more like for, they can give you a general of what's working, you know, when you start working that that tool, they'll give you, you know, the top trending ones, ones that are working, but they won't get shop specific search terms that are working. I get you. Yeah. So if I typed in, you know, custom baby onesie, it's going to give me the top 10 search links or SEO terms that work best for those specific items. It's going to, yeah, it ranks, you know, what search terms are working, what ones like, and even their saturation level, things like that. Awesome. So that's one area that it works in um, later on. We can talk about that a little bit more about the other options that that tool is helpful for as well. I want to add, so we're talking about SEO, um, you know, inside of Etsy. And so the couple recommendations here were duplicate your top listings to target slightly different keywords, updating existing listings that are kind of underperforming, updating those, those titles and tags. This works for regular old Google SEO too. Like where is there opportunity? Like what's getting impressions, but not a lot of clicks? Like how could I tweak and optimize that? It's something that I do all the time. And same thing, if you already have a an article on your page that Google has deemed, you know, your site authoritative enough to rank for, like, well, maybe that's a sign you ought to create more content around that. And it doesn't have to be, you know, duplicate the post and, you know, change the title tag. Like that's probably not going to work, but maybe it's a, it's a topic that you ought to consider writing another article about or ch- tackling it from a different angle. So I know we're talking Etsy search, but there's a lot of parallels here to other uh, search engines as well. So just want to add that in and uh, feel free to continue. Yeah, no, that's so true for sure. My last, um, you know, like I said, these are condensed, very condensed um, tips. But for SEO is to take your top selling listings again that have the 25 to one at least daily uh, views. So for one month, you what you want to do is renew those top selling listings daily. So say you have, you know, let's say your top 10 top selling listings. You want to renew those, manually go in and renew those every single day for one month. And then you want to review the impact that these views or sales 
um, have had on your shop. So you compare what renewing has done for the, you know, the last 30 days, what renewing those top 10 items has done compared to the month previous. And you want to adjust according to the results. So the reason you only want to do this with your high selling listings is because the volume of traffic that can potentially come in as a result of the bump in traffic that Etsy gives you when you renew. So when you renew a listing, when it's before it's expired, it's like, you know, when you're renewing, it's like you're jumping in the air to get Etsy's attention, you know, saying, look at me, look at me. And this is a really strategy that actually works. I'd say in about 90% of the Etsy shops that we work with. So that would be my other suggestion. Just taking your top 10 bestsellers, uh, if you have that many, which I'm sure you do, and just renewing them daily for one month. I never knew that Etsy extra promoted newly renewed listings. You know what I mean? I just figured that they would be renewed and, and put back in the line at, at where they were last placed at. Even within Etsy search, people can even search by the latest listings. Like they can toggle their search to what is the newest as well. So um, no, renewing your listings is, is a good strategy. That's a fascinating one. That was a great one too. I'm, I'm excited to do that one because I mean, as you said, if it gets extra eyes just from being renewed, then that's that could be a game changer, especially when you're using the, the number of 90% success rate. That doesn't take too much time either, does it? Compared to the other ones, the other ones take a little bit more research, but this one is just a click of a button to renew. So next thing I would recommend for you, Troy, is to build a product release scheduler or a fancy word for a spreadsheet. And Try to plan, you know, you should have a goal of adding about five new listings a month based on what is trending. Now, what do you have currently set up for your new releases? How do you figure out or how do you decide what you're going to put out there? Do you have a strategy with that? Yeah, I, I definitely don't have a, a set and stone strategy. What I usually do is if if a customer, for instance, um, I'll use my, my pet onesies, for example, that's the biggest seller is, is people getting the pets on the baby onesies. For instance, there'll be a lot of customized ones where people will have the text protected by and then the dog's name, let's say the dog's name's Milo. So if I get a lot of repeat orders with similar text like that, then I'll create a new listing with that on the listing image so people can get more inspiration like, oh, that's a cool text saying, I'm going to use that. Um, Another one would be I do have like custom image onesies where people can get their auntie's face or uncle's face on a baby onesie and it'll say, number one uncle. So if I get regular orders with unique text that seem to stem along the same lines as existing orders, then I'll create a new listing for that to try and target that audience. Because I feel like if people are looking for a custom onesie, but then they see a funny one that sticks out, then that's already helped with the sale on that. Right. Yeah. So going, basing off what the customer is requesting, that's a good, definitely a good start. So I'm going to talk again, a hop in here just with a suggestion. And this relates to E-Rank again, is building products and deciding on what types of products to sell or what wording to use based on trends and what you how you can do this on E-Rank. So for example, on E-Rank, you can go in and you can go into the monthly trends tab and do research on the month that you're going to plan for. So say you're going to plan for, okay, I want to add five new products um, for June. And you know what are some hop-on trends that I can use right now? So you're trying to look ahead, but you're also wanting to base on these trends, give you a real good hint 
on, you know, what may be some your new bestseller. So for example, in June, 2020, there were two trending shirts that did awesome based on world events, you know, Black Lives Matter, obviously, and vintage shirts was another one. Um, If you look at the E-rank trends, that was a trend that was huge. So obviously, you know, the Black Lives Matter trend, it was trending for intensely for a short period of time. Um, But vintage shirts is a trend that has stuck, you know, that has stayed. So just as a tip, you could start brainstorming, you know, sessions around what you find in the monthly trends tab on E-Rank, but most importantly, sticking to that quirky theme. So you want to stick to that. How can you add your your little quirky twist that you already have going on in your Etsy shop to upcoming trends? And, you know, once you've exhausted E-Rank uh, for those, there's other areas to go off to see that what's trending. And one of those sites, I'm not sure if you or Nick have heard of it before, it's answerthepublic.com. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I love that site. Okay. So it's not new to you, <laughs> but it's it's an awesome site there. You can um, go in and see what people are searching for, what's trending, and you can actually download a, a spreadsheet. It'll put it all out for you. So that just to help you brainstorm for new new trending and upcoming product ideas, that would be a suggestion. That's a big one too, because as you said, you know, there's certain things that are, are hot at certain times. When the pandemic started and, and quarantine started, quarantine onesies were selling off the roof and i think again kind of getting ahead of those trends before they drop is the tough part but if you really do then it's a great way to really step the game up and and set the business apart from other ones yes for sure so yeah for an example during covid we had um etsy shops that we were helping that you know were selling essential oils and so you were thinking, well, how can they hop on a trend? But what they what we did with them is they hopped on the trend of creating face mask sprays. They weren't face mask creators, but they hopped on the trend of obviously face masks and catered their product to meet that trend. So that became their number one best-selling item in their essential oil shop was face mask sprays. So just thinking of that with your shop, um, a lot of times we may not see the correlation between what's trending and how we can, you know, interpret that or how you can interpret that with your listings, but there's always a way to figure out how to quirk it up there. Yeah, so the box is, is definitely a way to do it. And, and I like how you, too, how you mentioned keeping that quirkiness. That's something that I really try to get in my store. Obviously, you can, you can see it with the name Goober Prince, it's quirky before you even look at the store. So keeping my custom listings while being custom and quirky at the same time is really the goal that I have here. Right. Yeah. And that's going to propel you forward for sure. So getting into the press, have you ever, have you got any of your products press features? Have they been featured anywhere? No, 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 no real press features. I mean, again, I'm still kind of new to this. I never really expected to be going as far as getting press features or even as far as having an Instagram page. So that's something that I would like to get into again. That's tying back to the Van Wolf episode, Nick, when Luke said he reached out to his local newspaper and it stemmed from one link to another and ended up getting featured on the BBC. That's something where I would love to start is, is you know, reaching out to my local newspaper or the local newspaper back in my hometown in Australia and seeing if I can look into those avenues to get a little bit extra eyes on my page. I think that would be great. Yes. So having press, because remember the goal of this 
a session is you're already making sales, but it's like how to get more sales, right? How to reach your $1,000 a day target and always keeping that in mind. So obviously the more eyes on your listings, the better. So I do have a tip for this. And have you heard of Haro? Haro? H-A-R-O? No. Okay. No, I have not. And have you ever talked about that before, Nick? This is Help a Reporter. It's um, a daily email newsletter where, you know, they're going to send you queries from reporters like, hey, we're looking to feature somebody. We're looking for an expert on topic XYZ. And uh, if you fit the bill, you can reply. You sign up for free, you a free account and you register as a source. And then you choose what industry specific queries you'd like to get. So this is a resource that reporters use. Bloggers use it as well. They're looking for people to feature. Um, we've actually helped quite a bit of Etsy shops get into and get pressed using uh, this website. So we had an Etsy client recently who received some great press for her Etsy shop by responding to one of these queries. And what I really love about this type of press is that it featured her expertise in her craft and her story as an entrepreneur. And then the byproduct of that press was, you know, she had a huge increase in brand awareness and product sales for her shop. So the press wasn't necessarily featuring her product. It was featuring her and her story. But of course, the byproduct was, you know, more sales. And it really gave her brand a big boost. So it's something that doesn't have to take a lot of time. And then once you do get pressed, because eventually you will, um, doing these tactics is making sure that that is on your header and that is everywhere, you know, featured on, you know, Martha Stewart or, or wherever you end up. <laughs> oh, let's, let's try Martha Stewart features me one day. That would be, uh, that would be a goal. <laughs> yeah. So that would be my suggestion for that. Okay. Um, so your Etsy ads now, we'll, we didn't talk about this yet, but I know you're spending money on Etsy ads. Now, are you maxing out your ceiling on your Etsy ads budget? So I'm not maxing out my ceiling on the Etsy ads budget. Currently, I do $5 a day. Right. And the reason I cap it at that, and I guess this this would be a, a question that I may tie into you, Nick, is I'm at the level where I'm pretty capped out on, on my time uh, with both my full-time job and my side hustle, Booba Prince, which is essentially a, a full-time job as well. I would love, and I know with the sales that come from Etsy ads, I could not speak any higher of Etsy ads. Um, I sent the numbers to you, Melissa. I think it's for every dollar I spend, it's it's just around eight dollars in return from sales. So I know that you can get the maximum ad spend of a day up to twenty five dollars. If I were to increase it, even to double it to ten or triple it to fifteen, I know that those sales would come in. But on the other hand, I know I wouldn't have the time to be able to process those sales, especially in a timely manner. That was my first question. I was like, well, dude, you're spending a dollar to get eight back? Oh, like, why aren't you spending as much as you can? And it's amazing. I used to do a dollar a day and I thought, oh, I'm going to really splurge today and I'll do $5 a day. And I kept it for 30 days. And Etsy ads is absolutely amazing. I mean, for anyone that's on Etsy that's listening, I would 100% recommend increasing your ad spend to the, the capacity that you can. But at the moment, I need to expand and um, really scale the business and, and get some help in here. Yeah, we had to keep that up. I don't want to increase the ad spend and not be able to process the orders. That's my fear. Great, that's a good problem for most people. That was most people would love to have that problem. I know, and it feels kind of weird saying it, but again, I need to be realistic with it, Mm -hmm. especially during the Christmas time. And again, we need to add in too that you know I do have a little son, so I want to make sure I'm I'm doing as much family time as possible, as well as doing my full time job. I don't want to be too stretched, 
but I do want to scale the business and I really, really, really want to turn this into something big and, and get a team on board where I can step back and let them do all the work. So, Nick, I know you're a, you're a man with many ideas. Do you kind of have anything to play into that? If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. What does the current production process look like? Order comes through, what happens next? You know, I would say 90, 95% of my orders are custom orders. So the order will come through, customer will send their image and all the text that they, they would like on the garment. From there, I'll go ahead and I'll design it, which is essentially just taking out the background, adding some filters, a drop shadow, and then I'll put on a proof. Let's say it's a baby onesie. I'll mock it up onto the onesie, send that proof to the customer for approval. Once that's approved, I'll save the print file. I'll print the onesie here in-house, package the onesie here in our house, and then also ship. So I do everything from the front end to the back end. Yeah, so there's opportunity pretty much on all of those steps, right, to uh, bring on some help or streamline that. Oh, 100%. It sounds like the, and this is kind of the path that, that Luke went down with Van Wolf was hiring artists, um, and I think in his case, overseas artists to do kind of this mock-up phase of, okay, here's, I'm going to take the customer's image and then I'm going to, you know, put that on a design for their approval, which I liked his language there. Like, here it is for your approval, not like any revisions requested. Here's our artist's rendering for your approval. Have you tested doing anything? Like, that's a skill that could be taught or a process that could be uh, documented. 100%. And that's where all the time is. I mean, the time is, you know, the designing and, and the editing of the image and the proofing and the approval. So I do know that if I can hand the design work off that would save a lot of time on my end, which would give me more room for growth. Um, I have looked in, in the avenue of, of hiring some freelance designers and seeing how that goes. I've, I've got a couple ideas of where I want to go that route, which would be, you know, getting one freelance designer on board and just paying him or her for the work that comes in. So that's one avenue that I'm very, very close to looking into. Um, I would also kind of like to get you know, some part-time help here in-house with the print processing and the packaging and shipping. I think if I can get help on both of those ends, that'll free up my time, as I said, to help scale the business. My process for there, and I'm just spitballing here, would be probably have enough volume to keep a designer busy full-time. And my process for that would probably be to request a test design as part of the interview process. And you could do this paid, you could do this unpaid, you know, whatever feels good 
to you, but like you can document your, here's how I do this. Here's the software that I use, like screen share video over the shoulder. Like this is kind of the step-by-step thing that I follow. And here's an order that just came in. Like, would you mind testing it with this? And then you could pit, you know, two or three people against each other in a way to say who was able to follow directions, who was able to do it most like how you would do it. And then you can provide feedback and all that jazz and then move forward with that person. Cause it would be, it would be incredible to have a full-time person just to free up that one element of the business. So you're now just doing the printing and shipping versus the order customization printing and shipping. I would love that. And that, that's a great idea too, because obviously when it comes into designing, so many people have different approaches and, and designing is almost an art. People have their own touch on it, which makes it their own. So I would like to kind of show people the way I do it. I will put my hand up and say, um, I mean, you can ask my wife. I am very particular, which is, I see it as a way as I want to make sure that if, if the product shipping's got my name on it, I want to make sure it looks perfect and it was it's something that I would receive as a good thing. I do think the video of how I design and set up with the specific drop shadow and the specific filters I put on, it would be a simple system to put in place and even have that templated to be able to, you know, smash out at, you know, 10 edits an hour or something along those lines. It's a challenge because of course it's like, you know, one step back for hopefully two steps forward. Like I don't have time to train somebody how to do this. I'm too busy pumping out orders over there. I would call it a, a saw sharpening activity rather than just continuing to hack away at the trees. Talk to me about the printing because the, I mean, I was kind of surprised when you said, yeah, I've got the garment printer in my basement and it's like, oh, everybody else I know doing this is doing print on demand. Have you considered that or any sort of outsourced printing? I mean, I imagine the margins are better doing it yourself, but it comes at a time cost. Yeah, that's for sure. And that's another thing too, is is weighing up the the cost of outsourcing versus the time cost of doing it myself. That's the kind of area where I think I can really it helps me with my price margins as well. Um, so I, I purchased myself a, a DTG printer, which was really diving in the deep end at the start, not really knowing what I'm going to do. But I thought, hey, I'll purchase a printer that's worth thousands of dollars. But getting to know that printer and getting to know the the ways to kind of curve around certain obstacles is awesome having that in-house. And especially one thing that I kind of pride myself on, and you'll be able to see that in the hundreds of reviews that my page has, is with the printer in-house, I can turn around orders as quick as possible and I do like to get orders out, if not same day, next day. And on a custom order, that really separates from, you know, outsourcing and that like and then things like that. But again, as you said, Nick, it, it ties up a lot of my time doing it all in-house. But I do think the cost, having your own DTG printer and being able to do the prints yourself, the cost of it is really low in the scheme of things. And I would like to keep it that way. I don't know if that's me being greedy, wanting to do it that way. But it's one of those things where it's working at the moment, so I want to keep it that way. But again, I just need to get some extra set of hands in here to be able to manage it a little bit better. Yeah, your kid's like eight months old or something. Put him to work. <laughs> yeah, I was, he, he'll be uh, he'll be twelve months old coming up here soon. So by twelve months, he should know Photoshop in and out to be able to do on the design himself. Perfect, perfect. Uh, Melissa, have you seen anything on this? you know, custom order production side from your clients? Like how do people deal with this question of scale? I could relate to what Troy's talking about there because for quite a few years, I also had an Etsy shop that was, it wasn't a t-shirt shop, but it was a custom design print shop like um, prints. And it got to the same point where I do not have the time for all the back and forth convos. So just like Nick said, um, 
you know, the one thing I would add to that about hiring, I mean, I was able to outsource all that design eventually to three different freelancers. At the beginning, I, I hired outsourced it to one freelancer, which was a mistake because what happens if they get sick? <laughs> so I instead had, I, I always had at least two designers on board and I would pay them per job. So not by the hour because you want to have that nice and tight. You don't want to have an unknown, you know, this design took one hour, this one took two hours. So a per job design cost instead of by the hour and having more than one. So you aren't stuck because this did happen to me. Someone just like vanished my designer. And then I had all these orders that I had not (laughs) just the nightmare that you were talking about happening. So I would suggest having at least two. And then just, I simply had a Trello board and I know other Etsy shops has done this as well. And I would just upload all the orders and they would just move it along the board as they were done. And it was, it was so helpful, super helpful. And I could, just like you said, you can focus then on growing it even further. You mentioned um, in one of your Instagram stories that you had an Etsy shop before. I wasn't aware that it was in the design field as well. So that's really awesome to know. When you do look, and this can apply for me and other listeners that are in the custom field, when you are looking for freelance designers, where would you recommend to go and look for those people, some reliable freelance designers? I've offered my services on Upwork before, like as a Etsy shop owner, but for hiring, actually hiring designers, I have found the best success with um, one of the freelance sites called FreeUp. And the reason why I like hiring through there is because their process is very, I find they vet their freelancers super hard. So they are all about catering to the purchaser. So yourself. So I was able to interview, you know, three or four people on there. And just like Nick said, getting samples beforehand, they had no problem providing all of that uh, free of charge. And I just found their quality of freelancers was really like vetted, really excellent. So I worked with, I think, three different freelancers on there for the entire time that I scaled my shop. Um, and I had great success. That's one. There's a lot of different, you know, areas you can use. There's Fiverr. Um, I just found that FreeUp had a good vetting service. Yeah, they claim, or at least they did, they claim to hire only the, you know, the top 1% of applicants. So we actually had Nate Hirsch, uh, the founder, he has since um, sold the company. He was on the podcast, I want to say a couple summers ago, um, alongside John Jonas, who runs a site called onlinejobs.ph, which would probably be my go-to if you're going to go the full-time route, which would be the big job board in the Philippines to say, okay, I'm looking for somebody full-time. It's very much a needle in the haystack type of search, or at least I have found it to be in the past. Pricing differences between the two, FreeUp is going to charge you you know, a percentage of your payments to your freelancer, where online jobs is not. Instead, they operate on a monthly membership basis, which of course you're free to cancel after you find your person or, or persons to say like, oh, I'm good. And then I just pay them directly. That's something I'll be looking into too. And I guess... As you said, by not paying hourly, paying jobly, I think that's a better way for me to know my margins and know exactly what's going into each job. Um, and I guess that would just be essentially working out how many designs the freelancer can do an hour, You know, working out what percentage of the initial price I want to allow for designs and just splitting that up per freelancer. So I think that that's a, you're making me breathe easier already just knowing how much time I can save if I don't do those designs and the proofing myself. 
I know that nightmare that that can <laughs> that can entangle. Eventually, too, even the convos back and forth, even if you're not doing the designing, like if you've sourced that out, I found eventually, you know, with the volume of orders, even, you know, sending the designs for proofing to your customer, that could take a lot of time, too. So I eventually outsourced that as well to another freelancer who strictly managed the Etsy convos. She would take the finished designs and she would send them out. So she would manage that. She did an excellent job. So that that relieved a lot of time and headache as well. That's awesome. And that would be the end goal too. If you can get, you know, a couple hats in the room to be able to do each aspect of the job and just sit back and, and reap the awards, that would be awesome. Because I'm at the I mean, I mean, you know yourself, when I first started, that little Etsy cha-ching notification is the best feeling in the world. But when it gets to a point where the cha-ching comes and you get anxiety. That's when you know that there's a little bit too much on your plate. So I'm at that point where the cha-ching goes. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm only going to get four hours of sleep tonight. So I, I want to get back to the stage where I, I really enjoy the the sound of that ringtone coming in. Yeah, that's awesome. What a good analogy. It's so true. <laughs> Would there be an opportunity to bring in a, a high school student, college student, somebody who you could teach to operate the printer and help with that side of it too? That's something that I'm currently looking into. I, I do have the luxury of, of my full-time job. It's in, in sales and designs related to schools and colleges uh, with the graphics there. So I am going to be looking into some of the, the connections I have at the local schools and colleges to be able to see if there's any high school students that are looking for a bit of freelance design work, whether it be in-house or, or you know online. I think that would be both a great way to help me and to help them as well, a little bit of professional experience whilst also getting a bit of income on the side. So I'm currently looking into a local college here to see if any of the design students there would like to kind of touch base and even going getting a coffee and learning about the profession of what I do, um, I think it's going to kind of better both worlds. So that's a route that I'm looking into and, and ideal. that would be my goal. That way I can, you know, meet the person that's going to be behind the designs and if it's someone local, it, it's easy to connect and be like, hey, you know, I've got double the orders today can you help me out tonight you know that that connection would be good that's true we, we talked about you know outsourcing on these uh, jobs boards but it's like well shoot you've got a, a lead of steady design students right there locally i might go that route yeah i know it's just it's one of those things where i've got so many things on my plate i'm like i just need to jump on it it's always you know being new to the whole business thing it's 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 so much I'm hesitant to jump into all these alleys because in the back of my head, I'm like, wait, am I a real business yet? But I think I'm at that point where it's like, as soon as you put an employee on, it's like, wow, I, I have my own business. So it's realizing that and jumping on it is the stage I'm at now. Yeah, it's the pain. That's my common answer. Well, when's it, when's it time to hire? When the pain of inaction becomes too great. When you're getting four hours of sleep a night, like, yes, it's time to bring somebody on. And it sounds like you got the margins to do it and you can set it up in a way where you can set it up so it's like low risk for both parties where, okay, we're going to do this on a trial basis. You know, I'm going to provide all the training and we're just going to see how this works. If we, if we enjoy working together, if it's a fit, and if it is, then yeah, we'll, we'll double <laughs> double our ad budget to ten bucks a day and see what happens. And, and go yeah, that's there. exactly right. It's the growing pains. As soon as I click that ad budget to ten to fifteen dollars, I'll be very happy that I've got an extra set of hands here to help me process them. Yeah, Melissa, any any final thoughts, words of wisdom here? Maybe one last one. I could go on and on, but I thought maybe just one last one to think of. And now that I understand more 
this is obviously something you would want to do one year when you have more time and you have your staff um, lined up. But collaborating with other Etsy shops is also can also be a very powerful means of expanding your sales and reaching your sales goals. Like you mentioned, a thousand dollars a day. So that's totally doable with some different strategies. Um, I've worked a lot with Etsy shops who've collaborated with other people in their or other Etsy shops in their niche that obviously don't sell the same products, but have the same customer base. So for example, you have a few opportunities there with you do custom, you know, dog and cat um, prints. So or onesies and shirts. So collaborating, you know, maybe with another Etsy shop that sells pet items that aren't your competitors, um, collaborating with, you know, for your baby section, for your baby gifts, you know, your onesies, collaborating with another shop on Etsy that, you know, sells baby gifts that go with your target market. So for example, again, going back to E-Rank, a highly searched for term right now is new mom gift box. So, you know, for example, your onesie, you could have um, collaborating with another shop and having a special gift box that's your, you know, personalized onesie. And maybe the other Etsy shop makes, you know, uh, swaddle blankets and, a, you know, baby hats or something. So having like kind of high end items um, where you, you know, you collaborate with the other shop. There's just a whole variety of options in that area, but I've seen a lot of shops have some excellent success uh, doing this the right way. That is a great point. I, I really love that. And, and just the couple of avenues that you mentioned, you know, going into the to the new mum box gift area or even into the, the dog and pet area, maybe if someone sells collars that could pair with a onesie. I mean, that's just an avenue that could open up so many doors. I that's a That's an awesome point. I'm definitely going to be looking into that one. Yeah, that's awesome. So, and making sure I should um, add a caveat to that, and that is not just any Etsy pet shop, but you want ones like that are your caliber or higher. So you don't just want to, you know, match up with any. So you want to have, you know, the good, they have to have a good, strong brand, good sales, much like yourself. So just keeping that in mind. Logistically, how do you do that? Is that a kind of a co-promotion, you know, email to their list their customer database is that a joint listing can you do that kind of thing how does it how does it work behind the scenes right so there's a few different ways to do it so one way you could set this up again it would depend on the product but you could set this up by becoming sort of like the drop shipper of the other etsy shop so it's against etsy rules to have duplicate listings like you know you couldn't list the same item in your shop and then actually have the exact same item in another shop. So you could uh, collaborate that way. Um, A good rule of thumb here is finding shops. You could also make a referral deal, you know, like 15 to 20% referral rate with them. I had mentioned earlier about the mask shop who the aromatherapy shop that created mask sprays. So what they had set up is Uh, we set up a collaboration between the mask shop who was making handmade masks and the aromatherapy shop who decided to create mask sprays. And she shipped out, you know, they started off with 10 as an example. So she shipped 10 mask sprays off to the mask shop. And then that mask shop listed those as items in her shop. And then she would, you know, give a percentage of all sales. That went really well, actually. And that wasn't flagged as being like the duplicate 
listing thing you talked about? No, because she wouldn't, they both wouldn't list it in their shop. Only one shop listed it. So this is more like the drop shipping. So she, she would source her products. So the mask shop sourced, you know, kind of bought it wholesale almost from the aromatherapy shop. And now she would sell her masks as a set, like a, a mask and a mist. Just a spray okay, mist. okay, okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Okay, cool. So they, they wouldn't be duplicate listings. It's just in one shop. So there's a few ways to do it and they tend to work out really well when targeted and done properly with the right shops. Yeah, that's great too. And I think too, especially with on my end with the with the custom pet listings, I feel like that would be easy to separate the listings. So for instance, I could just use, let's say I use a chocolate Labrador with a certain saying on my site and the custom that the affiliate company would put on their site may be a, um, you know, a yellow corgi with a different text. So that would, would that kind of separate themselves as as a different listing yes if it yes if it's there if they're two they're two different items and again that's something to do with uh i love etsy that much that i wouldn't really want to tiptoe around those things so i i could always research that to be able to find the exact verbiage on the rules but i do like the idea of, of partnering and you know and acting as a drop shipper for certain other stores it's good for both stores right so yeah more exposure on on our items, I mean, the only good things that can happen from that. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, think about where your customers are already doing business, and here's another way to get in front of them. Yeah, targeting these dog owners or moms that aren't selling what you're selling. I think that's a cool way to go. Troy, has this been helpful? Mate, this has been unreal. There's, I've tried to jot down as many notes as possible. As soon as this comes out, I'll probably be listening to it at least 20 times that first day. Some of the tips Melissa gave, these are awesome. These are going to definitely set my store to be able to scale and 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 go new places, bigger and better things. And then Nick too, I appreciate your feedback as well. You know, as you mentioned, the growing pains, but I think that I've gotten the confidence from this episode to be able to go out and uh, hire some help and really structure things to be able to make this a, a full-fledged company. Well, I'm happy to hear it. It's hard because... Yeah, on the one hand, like, well, it's it's custom. Every order is different, but well, there's still this process that every order kind of has to go through. And if we can just remove yourself from some parts of that process, I think that frees up a little bit of your time and, and mental energy, mental bandwidth. Yeah, definitely. And then maybe get a couple more hours sleep every night. That would be that would be good, especially with uh, with a little one around. Check him out at Goober Prince on Etsy, etsy.com slash shop slash Goober Prince. We'll get you right there. Troy, thanks for letting us uh, dissect your business here. Melissa, thanks for stopping by again and lending your expertise. Sweetspotmarketing.ca is where you'll find her for all things Etsy marketing and scaling up your Etsy store. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show, where our coaching series continues. I'll see you then. Hustle on.